the Extreme 16. What a week. Welcome to a special episode of What a Week, where we break down this year's Extreme 16 bracket. Normally, we select the Extreme 16 Iowa politicians, but this year there are so many bad legislative proposals that we decided to open it up and and have it be the Extreme 16 pieces of legislation proposed in the Iowa legislature in 2021. Some of these proposals have already become law, unfortunately, but some of them we're still able to fight back against. So listen to our discussion with Ivy Beckenhold, our communications and digital director, state representative and House Democratic Whip Jennifer Conferst, and then check out the full bracket at progressiowa.org, learn more, and call on your legislator to oppose these extreme proposals. Okay, we are here on a special edition of What a Week, where we are releasing the Iowa Extreme 16. Um, uh, this weekend is the uh, NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Sweet 16. Uh, the University of Iowa women's team is in the is in the Sweet 16 as well. And if your bracket is busted already for the basketball tournament, fear not. We are here with an alternative bracket for you of some really terrible terrible legislation that's been proposed uh, during this year's Iowa legislative session. And uh, we are thrilled to have not, on, uh, uh, not only Ivy Beckenhold, our communications director with us, but but a very special guest, uh, state representative and Democratic House Whip, uh, Jennifer Comperse. Representative Comperse, thank you so much for joining us to unveil this year's Extreme 16. Thank you so much for having me. I am um, happy or sad that many of my teams have fallen out of the bracket for sports, and I wish that more of the items on this list have fallen off um, <laughs> as well. So I would have liked to see Iowa move forward in Drake and not these ideas, but, you know, what can you do? Right, right. Um, well, just full disclosure, we just sent you this list, so uh, I don't know. If, I, I hope you have it in front of you. Are there any, like, first reactions to the the results? I should say, too, we – have been asking people to vote on this and we've received hundreds of votes. Um, so this is a reflection of what people think, what Iowans think are the most extreme legislation this year. So what's your first, uh, and then we'll dive in one by, you know, one seed at a time, but what's your first, first reaction to, to seeing this list? Well, it's pretty disappointing to me that number one is actually going to be law. You know, that's, that's pretty yeah. disappointing and um, permitless carry number two uh, past the house. So, uh, you know, I'm not thrilled with the, uh, with the fact that some of these have advanced, you know, I, I like to say that advancing is, or introducing extreme legislation is bad. It has a chilling effect on economic development and harms people. But when things actually pass, it's really dangerous. So that's a little disconcerting to see that number one and number two, which I, I don't argue with those, um, in terms of being the most extreme, it is, uh, disconcerting that they're, they're advancing. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a a just over the top extreme session, it feels like. And and I mean, it, uh, there were there were a number of bills that are not even included on this list. But but yeah, it's it's it is it's extremely disappointing that some of these are just some of them. Some of them are not going to make it through. Um, but uh, uh, but but far too many are. Um, 
So without further ado, let's get started. We're going to go from the 16 seed to the number one seed. And to start it off, we have the number 16 seed um, in this year's Extreme 16 is the Transgender Sports Band, which would bar transgender student athletes from competing according to their gender identity. Um, I, is this actually, I mean, this is, it's, it's one of many horrendous anti-LGBTQ bills that, that were proposed this year. Um, but is this actually something that is happening very much in, in, in the state? Yeah, I, I think that, um, so this, this is a great example of how something can die in the funnel. Um, something everybody says is dead, but then gets brought back up later. Last night on Thursday night in the Iowa House or mm -hmm. Thursday afternoon, um, this idea was brought forward as an amendment onto a bill. And um, so when Representative Salmon gave her remarks trying to uh, advance this amendment, which they withdrew, um, but she got to speak on it, talked about cases in other states. And right. so I imagine there's a blog out there or a conservative news site saying this is a problem, you know, ramping up and causing all kinds of problems. My, I don't have any evidence that this is, this is happening. I'm not even saying if it did, it would be a bad thing, but you know, in terms of people who get to compete with their gender identity, she had lots of stories about how men are bigger and stronger than women. And you know, it just, it wasn't a great conversation, but, um, I will say that she called it the save women's sports act. Oof. which I thought was quite, uh, quite tricky. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so she introduced that last night again as an amendment. So the idea that these bills die is great, but then they can bring them back as amendments to other pieces of legislation. So we were just glad to see that that got withdrawn and we didn't, um, I think they didn't want to vote on that. Yeah, definitely glad that's not moving forward. It's just disgusting though, that that's even a conversation mm -hmm in the house i mean that's just horrible i can't imagine the impact this is having on trans youth right now and there's a few other bills about trans youth in here so we'll see how For sure. horrible it got this year and yeah. one of the things that's so frustrating to me and you're going to hear this over and over again matt and ivy is that you know we're in the middle of a global pandemic <laughs> yeah. and um we we're not doing anything to address that and to help iowans get out of that and help small businesses help landlords help tenants um, and so it's incredibly frustrating that things like this come up when we have real problems. Exactly. Uh, next up on real problems going into that is the local, local budget revenge bill. So they're cutting funding to cities and counties that decrease policing budgets for other needs, like uh, including mental health professionals, things like that. What was your take on this bill, Comfort? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think my take on this bill was this is a way to get uh, – Democrats to vote for defunding the police, um, you know, or to support, you know, to, to get on record as saying something about defund the police since they were so excited to use that against us last election cycle. And it, and it worked in many ways. And uh, even if there hadn't been any votes or comments about defunding the police. Um, yeah, this is local control is something that they used to be. The Republicans used to be the party of local control. We're not seeing that happen um, this year in any way, shape or form. They love to control those local governments when they don't think, act or do um, what they want. And so this is petty. This is uh, dangerous. And it's a political point that's going to really hurt people in communities because um, cities and counties can make their own decisions. And um, if... If a city and a county makes a decision that uh, that we as a state don't like, then 
we shouldn't butt in on that. And when we do, we're taking money away from Iowans who need it. And so um, cutting funding is absolutely ridiculous. And this is just a political play that, that could have real impacts on, on Iowans' lives. Yeah, something, a question I had about this that I, I didn't know the answer to, if, if a number of cities got together, if they all decided to run most of their public safety budget through, or police budget through the county, and then the others decided to pool resources and fund some sort of a health department, you know, like some sort of mental health capacity or, you know, come to some sort of agreement at a local level, would they still get punished? You know what I mean? Like, could they, would that huh. still, like, even though, it, it, even if they were addressing the needs for policing or, or public safety or whatever you want to call it, however you want to describe it, but maybe just it was a shift from one government entity to another. Because um, uh, that's like what they ought to be doing. I mean, that, that's something that they ought to be just assessing on a constant basis, right? Right. And I think the problem is that it's a, another example of them not thinking these things through, right? Introducing legislation to make a point yeah. that advances and could really cause harm. I mean, this is, they don't think through necessarily, they're, they're mad, right? Somebody's mad. So they introduce a bill that says that we're going to punish cities that defund the police because they stand up for the police. That's a false choice. Right. I mean, everything is, it's simplistic arguments and they're not considering the real, real world implications of this or, um, what we can all agree on. It's just a very black and white look at the world. And, um, they don't, they don't necessarily always think through the consequences of these things. Well, another nuance, uh, nuance, Matt, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> nuance is, is missing. The, yeah, that's not their, <laughs> the not their strong set, <clears throat> right. not their strong suit. Um, <clears throat> another, uh, another example of lack of nuance or unintended consequences is our number 14 seed, um, which is the forced unsafe in-person school uh, legislation. And this forced schools to offer full, full, full-time in-person classes uh, basically, regardless of whether there were COVID-19 safety protocols. I mean, I know you talked about there not being a lot of action to help uh, protect our state from COVID, but this sadly was something that uh, that helped or could potentially help put COVID directly into our, into our schools. Um, what was the, uh, I don't even know what to ask about this. This is just, we're a year <laughs> into this pandemic. I don't, uh, have they not learned anything at this point? Well, I think what they've learned is that um, there are some parents who really want their kids to go to school, and um, so they're going to try to help them and and make this happen, right? Um, they that this whole message of freedom and all of that got mixed into getting a chance to send your kid to school in person. Um, I think we can all agree that kids learn better in school. That's why, in fact, we have schools, and um, you know, the kids learn better in person. I don't think anyone would argue with that. I think sure. that. The problem here was, again, another example of local control, you know, it was making a one-size-fits-all solution when Red Oak might be very different than Waterloo in terms of outbreak and in terms of, you know, protocols and in terms of number of vaccinated families and in terms of, let's think about, you know, a small town might have a very different term demographic makeup than a larger community that has kids going home and helping parents and grandparents, you know, speak the language and helping to keep the house running and all of this kind of stuff and having multi-generational families living together, bringing COVID home for them. There's just no respect for the fact that local communities know what the, what's best here. And why do we have school boards? Why do we have city councils and right. and um, 
and county supervisors if all we're going to do is tell them you can't do this, you can't do that because of what we're mad about. So it was frustrating because when they finally did do something about COVID, it was forcing in-person school. And let's not forget the fact that last summer, state schools were required to submit their return to learn plans to the Department of Education. Mm -hmm. Those plans were approved. And now they're saying that that idea wasn't good enough and that what they tried to do back in June wasn't good enough. And so it's frustrating to me because it's, just, it's again, a cynical political ploy that they're saying that they care most about kids. And I would say, sure, they care about kids. Of course they do. I don't doubt that anybody up there cares about kids, but I don't think that they're making, that they're caring about um, every kid in every community the same way. Right. And it's, it's another false choice. Like why not if you, everyone wants, I think you're right. Everyone wants kids to be in school. Everyone wants to be able to go to out to eat if they want, or to do all these things that we would normally be doing. Why not try and do it safely? Why not make sure that everyone, you know, fund vaccinations and testing and PPE and all the, you know, any equipment that schools need and make sure that they have a plan in place to be, to do it safely. Like it doesn't make sense. You could do both. Um, and I don't, it's, they uh, clearly aren't, uh, weren't interested in, in doing that. No, I mean, everybody wants to be out of this, right? Everybody, yeah. sorry, Ivy. Everybody wants to be out of this. Everybody wants to be done. Wanting it doesn't make it so. I mean, this is like <laughs> childhood thinking here, right? I mean, we have to address the situation we've been given, not the situation we wish we had. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to add the fact that I saw in the uh, Iowa starting line the other day that some schools, like rural school, schools especially, uh, don't have like mask requirements for their students, anything like that. And so it's just, you know, it, the government is saying that everyone has to be in school or, you know, have the option to be in school. But then there's no safety options for someone who wants to be in school, but they don't want to get COVID. It's kind of difficult when people aren't wearing a mask around you. So I just found that to be quite horrible. But uh, next up yeah. on the horrible legislation, we have 13 legalizing LGBTQ discrimination. So basically, this bill would allow for discrimination against transgender Iowans by removing gender identity as a protected class under the Iowa Civil Rights Act. And I know that um, I think you said uh, Converse on Moral Mondays, I think that, you know, uh, Republicans are using this one year before that they have to campaign to push through the extreme stuff. And maybe you could speak on that a little bit with all of this transgender legislation. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there there is an idea that the, the first year of a two year term is more extreme because then next year you get to pretend to be moderate and that's what voters have in their memories. But do you know who, who continues to feel targeted and who can't forget that their state did this to them is, is the Iowans who are affected by, by discrimination like this. Look, I don't know who we are as a state if we're removing um, protections under the Civil Rights Act. Like, who are we to say these people don't deserve protection? If anything, we should be looking at ways to ensure more Iowans are protected under the Civil Rights Act to make sure that Iowans are treated fairly and equitably. I don't know why we would remove people. That's just a fundamental question for me. But secondly, yeah, it sends it sends a message that, you know, you're not welcome here and um, that you can be fired from your job and you can be treated horribly and that we're okay with that because of who you are. And that's what I just think, again, I think this is one of those uh, political points that they want to make that has lasting damage. And I'm not just talking about to you know transgender neighbors i'm talking about to people who want to move to iowa and want to be in a place that's safe and 
and and welcoming or people who um, are raising kids and want to let those kids, you know, make their own decisions about who they are and um, what they do. And the fear that you have that your state is making decisions about your worth and your value based on who you are is pretty, pretty devastating to me as an Iowan. During the legislative session, bills move quickly, and by the time you check your email, that advocacy alert may be too late. Now you can get text messages from Progress Iowa for the latest news and action alerts. Just text JOIN to 515-417-3320. We'll send petitions, phone numbers for key members of the legislature, and more to keep you informed. That's J-O-I-N to 515-417-3320 for text message updates from Progress Iowa. Yeah, I cannot even imagine being su- having this written into law that 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 discrimination is just legally uh, is just allowed. Um, and I mean, that's that's pretty much what this would be. And um, and and it's no surprise that this has happened. Or this bill came up this year, um, or, or it was in the mix. Uh, there was a the the list of of anti-LGBTQ bills that I think one Iowa tracked um, that had us as the worst state in the nation for, or the, the state, the state with, I believe the most, the most of uh, those types of proposals. Um, it's, it's uh, uh, just sort of un, unthinkable how we, how far we've come from, um, from being a state that values equality and the Varnum decision and everything like that, that, that we just have shifted so far, it seems um, in a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, my kids are 18 and 20, and they were alive during Varnum, alive enough to remember it, and now here we are. Like, that's how quickly this has changed. It's just mm-hmm. it's just shocking. Yeah. Well, the next uh, next uh, proposal up is number t- our number 12 seed, um, and it is the anti-First Amendment uh, bill, which would create harsher sentences for protesters who take part in, quote-unquote, unlawful assembly. And this is a one of one of a few bills that that are seem to be targeted at the Black Lives Matter uh, protests of last summer, but also just no matter what you believe in, no matter what position you take on any issue, it seems like they're trying to make it harder or put up barriers to participate in the democratic process. And I know we our number one kind of is that with a um, highlighted and underlined, but. Um, how do you feel about something like this where they, they're taking, they're just chipping away at these rights? So, yeah, I mean, as, as Ivy knows and Matt knows, I'm a journalism professor and, um, I teach communication and, um, first amendment's pretty important to me and, um, as it should be to all of us. And the number of bills we have out there that are literally the government telling you what you can and can't say or what you can and can't do is quite quite remarkable coming from the party of uh, small government. Um, and so it's pretty frustrating to me. You know, these are, these are definitely reactive bills, right? A lot of them are. They're things that made them mad in the last, <laughs> in the last year that they now want to stop. They now want to ban. And, um, you know, rather than participate in the marketplace of ideas and allowing people to to have debate and have discussion and talk about difficult things, they're just going to squelch all that. Right. And we've mm-hmm. got this bill. We've got a bill that that bans diver- is, is the diversity training bill on here. Um, 
I'm not sure if it is, but um, oh, yeah. the bill that doesn't allow you to talk Don't about give anything away. Um, their gonna, ten- you know, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We're going to get there. Um, so there's plenty of, of anti-First Amendment bills. And yeah, this is there are processes through which you can address things that you don't like that are happening in society. Not everyone is to create a law banning it. Right. I mean, I, I use the phrase marketplace of ideas with one of my colleagues on the other side. And I'm not sure that that person quite understood what I meant. And I'm not criticizing him directly, but I will say that I use the pr- phrase marketplace of ideas. And he said, so you're fine with people who say things that you disagree with getting a chance to say them. Oh. And I said, yes, oh. yes, indeed. Uh, that that's is point. the whole that's, point. That's uh-huh. it. In fact, I would protect your, your right to say it almost more than my own because that's the idea, right? <laughs> and so I have said many times and been on the record and gotten in trouble for saying um, that I do believe that we need to have a First Amendment training um, at the legislature because <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure we all get it. Yeah, I love that. I think that's very necessary. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> uh, next mm-hmm. up on our horrible bills, extreme bills, we have number 11, the abortion ban amendment. So basically it would have been the Iowa Constitution to state that abortion is not protected. This was really crazy, especially to rush it through this year when people can't even come in to speak in person because of the pandemic. I mean, where do we even start with this one? What were your thoughts? Right. Well, um, yeah, I think that your point, Ivy, about where do we even, I mean, about not being able to do it, doing it this year. So a, a constitutional amendment has to pass two general assemblies, and a general general assembly is two years. And so there is nothing that required us to get this bill done this year. It literally will sit now until the next legislative session. It could have been passed next year when there could have been more public input, public hearings, et cetera, when, there, when we weren't in a global pandemic, hopefully, when we didn't have higher priorities, because nothing is going to change because we passed it this year versus next year. So that is goes right to my my idea that they're trying to get the you know the extreme stuff passed this year, um, but also I mean let's just talk fundamentally about what our constitution is supposed to do. Our constitution is supposed to protect and grant rights, and so the idea that this <laughs> this is taking away a right is pretty mind blowing to me. Not a lot of amendments to the constitution take away rights, and um, the fact that it mentions a medical procedure is pretty remarkable to me, uh, pretty specific for a for a constitutional amendment, besides the fact that it puts everything at risk, right? It puts birth control at risk. It puts, um, you know, obviously abortion laws at risk. Uh, it we, we had several amendments. Okay, let's do an exception for the right of the mother or the life of the mother. Let's do an accept, exception for, um, you know, birth control. Let's do an exception for IVF, right? And again, not because we think that everything else to ban is okay, but because we were trying to carve out anything that could could protect these things because they keep saying, oh, it's not going to protect, this will not affect um, birth control, we promise. Well, okay, I, I, I'm not going to believe you. But second of all, there's nothing to say that a future legislature won't, so let's just make sure we can amend this this way. Um, but fundamentally, look, uh, a woman's right to make her own healthcare decisions is a fundamental right, and to go in and change our constitution to make it not a right anymore is absolutely unbelievable, really, frankly. And so now we have to sit on this and then it it comes back up again in the next legislative session and then it will go to the voters. Gosh, that's just so cool. And I remember, oh, oh, sorry. 
Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember Representative Ross Smith um, talking about his experience with his wife and that, yeah. uh, you know, if she carried the pregnancy to the full term, that, you know, her life was definitely at risk. And I mean, it was just so emotional. And to see, like, Republican legislators not even really respond to that, that was just heartbreaking, really. So I just think it's horrible. Yeah. It's pretty It's pretty frustrating because, like, we have... Um, I don't know how to say this. I mean, I guess my biggest issue is that I, I really struggle when I have men telling me what to do with my body, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Or women. But um, I just don't think if, you, if you're never going to be in the position of having to make a, a decision that's difficult, um, if you're never going to be made, if, if the government's never going to tell you what you can and can't do with your body, I don't think you can fundamentally understand just how terrible um, this feels and this is. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of ruined the. I kind of ruined the. Yeah. Matt's like, well, I no. can't talk after that. No, no. <laughs> Matt's like, what? I was about to just apologize on behalf of a, on behalf of an entire gender, but I have no. no. I'm, I don't want to throw my lot in with uh, with people who are trying to do this. So no. it's just it's just and absurd. I'm not and, and, and no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> um, just, I just get frustrated because the people who stand up and speak about it are people who will never have to make this decision, right? And oh, that's sure. frustrating. That's yeah. how, I mean, that's how, um, I feel like all these decisions are made because it's, our government is predominantly run by, by white men. So it's, um, it's just, it's just unfathomable to, 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 like you put it, to, to put in the constitution, something that would take away anyone's rights. Um, so, yeah. um, our, we are coming into our top 10 uh, for the Extreme 16, and rounding out the top 10 are unaccountable charter schools, which would add a new method to the to state law to create charter schools which could take public tax dollars from established schools and give them to unaccountable education management organizations, or EMOs. Um, this is a debate that was happening this week. Um, late into the night and to the, you know, past midnight and to the early, early hours of, I don't remember if it was Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I believe, something like that, but, uh, or Wednesday night, Thursday morning, but um, uh, we already have charter schools here at a local level, kind of break down what the, what the heck are they trying to do here with this terrible law? Okay, well, you know how people on Twitter say it's too soon. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. too soon, Matt. I'm, okay. It's just okay. too soon to talk about this. One. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. We were there for a long time. Uh, Democrat house Democrats stood up and fought against one more measure to take away accountability and money um, from or get, take away accountability from charter schools and give our money to private entities. Um, it was a pretty, pretty rough debate. It was difficult. The bill will essentially, um, allow groups to come in and these education management associations and form or organizations and form charter schools. Um, there are a lot of, I mean, there's so many questions and we ended up having a meeting with the appropriations committee that night because it added an appropriation and said that, you know, there's going to be new money going to this, to these schools. And we don't know how much, uh, there is no answer to how much money will go tax dollars will go to private organizations yeah. right and then so we asked how much money and then we said well wait a minute this is probably 11 30 at night we said well wait a minute if we're going to add money we're going to spend taxpayer dollars here 
we should probably have a public hearing. Like, this is a big deal. This is rushed through. We got the bill. We got this huge amendment, 16-page amendment, the day we debated it. And then we, you know, this is rushed through. And then we said, let's have a public hearing. Let's just hear what Iowans have to say about it. And they suspended the rules and denied the public hearing. Wow. So I think the two things we need to continue to hit about this is that there is it is a blank check for charter schools, right? There are a lot of loopholes in this bill. It's a blank check. We don't know how much it's going to cost of our money. And remember that that money comes from literally leaves public schools and goes to private organizations. So every kid who doesn't have the opportunity to go be part of a charter school organization somewhere stays behind in the public school, which now has less funding because another kid has the opportunity to have mom take her to her charter school tomorrow. It's just not right. And second of all, we thought we needed public input on this and the House Republicans just said no. So those are the two things that we want to make sure are clear that this is their way of getting um, private, private for-profit companies really I think could, they say no, but I think there's a way they could um, come in and or churches or whatever, form charter schools, get public money, no accountability, they don't have to take everybody they don't have to transport everybody, and um, and they didn't even want the public's input on this. I did have a. Uh, this is another question similar to some of these other proposals. I, it's it's terrible, like terrible law. Like the, there was a lot of. I mean, I think one phrase that I heard repeated multiple times during the debate was that it's just not ready for prime time. Um, right. Like that. There's a lot of details that even if you were gonna try and do it, they weren't worked out. But we already have these local uh, – people can form local charter schools or, or at, at the school board level um, if they get approved, right, and if they f meet certain criteria. Or, uh, but are there, are, is there some, like, flood of applications that have been denied and so they're trying to do this another way? Or is – I mean, I know that no. – I, I assume the answer is no. Yeah, okay. I mean – Nope. It, <laughs> nope, there have not been. Um I, I I would also say that the, the the problem might be that those public school boards are elected, and they would prefer to have people who um, are not elected. That's what the, this opens it up to. Right. These founders groups that are not accountable to the people that are not reelected. So yeah, mm -hmm. that would be a big difference. Yeah. Gosh, that's horrible. And I'm glad that you brought up the thing about choice too, because I know that a lot of Republicans have been saying this is about choice. But when it comes down to it, a lot of students that will stay at the public schools, they don't really have that choice that other privileged kids might have to be able to switch schools yeah. and have their parents take them, them to these different schools. So I just thought that was definitely really important. But um, yeah, next is, up yeah. we have, yeah, uh, next up we have number nine who is unemployment cuts. So uh, they're enforcing, you know, well, they want to enforce a waiting period for uh, getting unemployment benefits, I think a week, and then they're cutting collection, the collection period for some families. So this will really put Iowa families on the brink about this one. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I, you know, I get the political points that get made from time to time. I, I can see them. This is one I just don't get. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand why on earth during a pandemic when Iowans are struggling with unemployment, we would make it harder to collect unemployment. I just, it, it defies logic. I mean, I, I try real hard to see the other side of things. And this one, I just don't see. I will tell it's a terrible, terribly cruel bill. I mean, this is a terrible bill. And um, so far, it's not made it to the floor or to the calendar for debate. Every day we don't debate this on the floor is a good day. So um, that means that they don't have the votes. 
So we continue to put pressure. We continue to remind people that this is not a partisan issue, that there are people who are struggling in all parties, in independence, no parties, in all parts of the state. And I don't see a logic behind, I really don't, behind making it harder for them to collect unemployment, making it less time, less money for them when they're struggling. It's just terrible. It just I seems, agree. This is a top 10. This is a yeah. top 10 bad bill. <laughs> um, it just seems just, just like many of these, just unnecessarily like mean-spirited too. Like, I mean, just like cruel. Um, and and yeah, the, the, and maybe the cruelty is in some ways the point, but but they, like there's just no seems to be no good reason for it. Um, yeah. And Matt, can I just say that I think that sometimes philosophically, you know, a bill, you know, when you're going to introduce legislation, it should be to make life better for Iowans, right? That should be our point. Right. And um, everything we do should be to help Iowans and to serve Iowans. And these bills, I'm not sure who they're serving other than they're trying to stop behavior they don't like. And that is not our job. And that's what frustrates me. Yeah. Um, well, I, I coming up on the next piece of legislation on, on this extreme 16 list, number eight, is another example of, I think, just of that sentiment. It's the anti-transgender bathroom ban, um, which would bar transgender students from using the bathroom that corresponds with their gender, gender identity. Um, you put it very nicely just, just a moment ago, trying to change behavior that you don't like, um, instead of serving the people that you're there to, you know, your constituents. Um, but I just have a, I have a, I mean, I wonder if there's a, a way to ask this of any of the, uh, Republicans who've proposed this, like at home, assuming you have more than one bathroom in your house, um, do you... I, I, we don't have, at least in our house, we don't have a, a restroom for men and a restroom for women. We have all, every gender in our home uses every restroom, uh, every bathroom. And I don't, I wonder how that is in like, uh, in some of these representatives' homes. Does anyone ask that of any, anyone or what's your, not to make light of this because it's terrible, but, but right. I don't know. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. And I mean, you know, we... I, I just don't understand what problem we're trying to solve again. You know, I mean, how is this making life better for Iowans? I suppose their answer would be people feel more comfortable in the bathroom. I, I don't really know. I mean, I can't get there, so it's hard for me. You know, I was at the Capitol last year when um, those uh, Iowa Safe School students were at the Capitol for a tour, and I right. had just spoken to them before I found out that they had been um, kicked out of the Capitol, kicked out of the Iowa State Capitol for using the bathroom with which they're, um, for the, of the gender with which they identified. And, you know, I saw their faces and I saw the fear and the anger and the sadness that they saw, that they were feeling on their faces every, you know, the entire time. And it broke my heart and it really brought it home to me. I mean, this is so mean spirited. This is so not a problem. And I, I just, I just feel like it's, it's just mean. And it just makes me sad, you know? Exactly. There's really no reason for this. I mean, there has not been documented cases of this being a real problem. And so the fact that, you know, I uh, heard a lot of, you know, almost conspiracies that, you know, 
something bad can happen if transgender students are using the bathroom that correlates with their gender identity, which is just really ridiculous. I mean, they have no proof of this. So it was just really disheartening for sure. Yeah. 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 Next up, uh, number seven, we have the 1619 Project ban, which would bar Iowa educators from teaching about the 1619 Project, which reframes history with a focus on the contribution of Black Americans as well as the honest history of slavery. I mean, this one was just far out. Yeah, you know, this This is, um, I matched this up one with that um, that divisive topics one that I think we're going to talk about in a minute, but mm-hmm. um, it is, is proactive and nationalistic, right? I mean, it is, it is literally denying history, and um, it's targeting one particular project that says things that are, um, I guess, not in line with what we learned in the fifties at school, I guess. Um, so no, this is a, again, another attempt. I mean, it fundamentally, it's another attack on local control. It's another attack on allowing schools and communities to teach what they want. And, um, it is, it's just, <laughs> I mean, talk about a solution in search of a problem. I mean, this is like, they don't like it. So they want to ban it. I mean, what is this? What are we doing? You know, what are we doing up there that we just, I don't like this. I read this. I don't like it. I think it's ridiculous. I'm a legislator. I'm going to stop it. That's not how it's supposed to work, right? For more information on Progress Iowa's Extreme 16 bracket, including bill numbers and descriptions, please visit progressiowa.org. And for regular updates on legislation, including many of the bills in this year's Extreme 16, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Progress Iowa. Everything that you said I, is like um, absolutely spot on, but also created by an Iowan too. The yeah. 1619 Project. Right. I mean, Nicole Hannah Jones, right. um, and something that has been nationally recognized um, and should be something that we would, I would think we would celebrate here because we usually, um, <clears throat> we usually. Uh, highlight people who from Iowa who do great work, and um, this is one of those things, but not uh, clearly not not in this case. But not if it's work we disagree with. That's right. That's right. Um, and speaking of uh, uh, erasing things we don't disagree, or the things that we disagree with, um, number six uh, on the extreme sixteen is a whitewashing history proposal which would bar diversity training programs that teach about quote unquote divisive topics, which uh, in our opinion would event- would essentially rewrite history. Um, I, uh, th- there was, there's, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, I, I, Steve Holt was all over the, this and the, and, and then the next, I think the, just the very next day, the, the permitless carry the gun uh, legislation. Um, and it was, just bizarre to me to watch him talk about um, permitless carry and gun legislation and the tyranny of state government, and then right. having just tried to ban, literally have the state government tyrannically ban what uh, a school or government institution or what uh, could um, could teach. Uh, I, I, what was how. What was your takeaway on this? I mean, I know this is similar to some of the other discussion we've had because a lot of these bills have the same theme. But uh, what do yeah, you think? well, this one is, is is particularly egregious to me. I 
I will tell you that I quoted Ronald Reagan for them on the floor about this to say that Ronald Reagan doesn't like big government. And, you know, your guy had a point on this one. And, um, and I, I am incredibly frustrated about this because, you know, they did put an amendment on it that made it not just schools, but everybody. I mean, they made it so that you any state agency can't do diversity training that says things like America was founded on racism. Um, and, and Skylar Wheeler spoke from the floor and he read from White Fragility, a book which he was proudly telling us that he had read. And, and he told us that, you know, there's a line in it that says, and he said, this is really egregious and this is what we have to stop. And he read a line that essentially said, America was built on stolen land and was um, built on the backs of slave labor. So and I I was waiting for the part I disagree. I mean, that, that is was not true, true I mean, right? Right. Yeah, he was saying it's egregious and false. He doesn't like um, critical race theory and wants to stop it. And again, because we're in charge, they're in charge, they get to come in and tell us what we can and can't say. It is, I just want to reiterate what you said, Matt. It is literally the government saying what you can and can't say. And I don't know about you, but as Representative Bohannon said on the floor, the First Amendment is first because it's critically important. There's a reason it's first. And, um, you know, the next day we talked a lot about the second, but we sure did did uh, dump on the first one the day before. Exactly. Hearing, uh, watching this uh, on the live stream, it was just so insane to watch Skylar Wheeler uh, almost try to educate everyone about racism. And I just thought that was insane. Quoting MLK, trying to prove his point. I mean, clearly he's the one that yeah. needs this diversity training. But uh, Yeah, yeah. We, we did say that too. We made that comment too. And, and the MLK <laughs> quotes are great, right? Because then we would stand up and read the context of the quote. <laughs> and it'd be like, well, I mean, sure, content of character. Yep, he said that. You know what else he said? <laughs> I don't know if you want to hear the whole thing, so he said. But he wasn't only talking about content of character. He wants it now. uh, Representative Abdul Samad read parts of it that were like, you know, I want it now. You owe me a debt. You know, this is a check that can't be cashed. And, I mean, he did other quotes from Martin Luther King that spoke to the need for exactly this kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. Next up, number five, we have violating women's privacy. So there was a bill that included this part that would allow the government to reach out to women who would search for abortion options online to attempt to condemn their decision. This was by Salmon. I mean, this one was just kind of really out there. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this one made national news. That was great. Um, again, if you're looking to come to uh, Iowa to to build a family, I'm not sure that you'd look at that place and say, well, the government's going to snoop on my internet searches, which is something right. also they don't like, right? <laughs> I thought they didn't want that. And, um, but it's okay, I guess, if you're searching abortion. Um, I kept saying, well, what if someone searches for ways to stop abortion? Is that allowed? Or, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, it was a very not well thought out bill. And um, it is absolutely, I mean, come on, this is some some Handmaid's Tale stuff, right? I mean, this is some stuff that's like, we're going to look at your Google search and call you? I mean, come on. This is, I can't even believe this is a real thing. But it it, I, it was a bill that was introduced. I wonder what the phone script, and again, not to make light of any of these, but I wonder what the phone script is for the government employee who has to call and to say, excuse me, ma'am, we, we noticed you were searching uh, or you clicked on this link from Instagram. Like what is, how does that conversation even initiate and in a, in a non creepy way? Like what, like, 
Um, And what if, Matt, sorry, what if we said, okay, also when you search guns, (laughs) we're going to call you and talk to you about gun safety. How would that go? (laughs) I don't think that would go well. (laughs) Um, Well, we have made it this far to the first 12 of the uh, Extreme 16, and so we have arrived at the final four. Um, This entire list is, is bad. Um, and extreme, but these four uh, received the most votes as the, as the most extreme pieces of legislation. So we're going to um, just dive into this. Uh, number four is the food assistance cuts, the SNAP cuts, which would make it harder for islands to qualify for food assistance when they need it most. I mean, uh, there's a reason that this made it uh, to the top four, in my opinion. I mean, this is truly just, uh, if you're, if you're, an, if you're a Iowa family who is struggling right now during the pandemic, sorry, we're going to literally take food off your table. I mean, what, uh, I, I don't know if the, what justification they gave or what your thoughts are, but that that's, that's as, about as extreme as it gets. So, I mean, yeah, I, like I said before, there are some of these, not these, but some things they do that I can be like, all right, I see where they're coming from. I don't agree with it, but I can logic out where this is coming from. This one, it's, I don't know. I mean, this reminds me of like living in the Reagan era, right? When they were talking about, you know, people buying, using benefits to buy things they shouldn't be buying. Shouldn't be, as if it's our place to say, but um, shouldn't be buying. And I, I don't know our where this is coming from. I mean, was someone in the grocery store and saw somebody with SNAP benefits buying something they didn't think they should? Um, do we need to make a law to change that? Do we need to punish all Iowans who need food because we don't like, I mean, I don't even know where this came from, but it is, I mean, it's a, we have a budget surplus. Like we are, we got lots of people who are misusing tax dollars. I'm not sure it's people who are hungry and need food for their table that we should be focusing on. In fact, I know it's not. Exactly. And I mean, this argument that it will save money isn't even entirely true because they have to enforce these extra requirements to get on food stamps. There has to be a lot of uh, state oversight, which currently there's not as much state, it's more federal. So putting the state money towards it, we're just going to waste money. I mean, it's really ridiculous. Yes. Yes. But again, it's because I don't really think it is about money. I think Mm -hmm. that all of these things are about um, making Iowans behave in a way that some in the majority party believe we should behave. It's really all about monitoring and um, controlling behavior. Exactly. It's horrible. Well, next up, number three is the private school vouchers, um, basically diverting public tax dollars to non-public schools. This was definitely a big one this year. Uh, Where do you see this at right now? Well, the great news is, I said this before about uh, the unemployment bill, but Uh, Every day we don't debate vouchers on the floor of the House is a win because, again, that means that the pressure is working, right? It means that Iowans contacting their legislators telling them they don't want vouchers is a good thing. This will, you know, undercut public education. It will. There are tiers of counties in the state that have no access to private schools. Um, The the, the logic that they give is, is flawed to me. I mean, there are fundamental things wrong with it, right? Like public money going to private schools that don't have accountability. Private schools don't have to accept all the kids that public schools have to accept. I've heard from constituents who say that their children were diagnosed with learning differences while at a private school and then told they were no longer welcome and they had to go back to public school. And um, and so the public school is going to serve all those kids, right? 
And that is how we as a society should be. We should use it, be using our public schools to make sure every kid gets a good education. Um, private schools are fine. I just don't think that we should be funding them with public tax dollars. But my fundamental issue is that this idea that there's a pot of money that we each have that we can pick up and take with us to a private school. So the idea being I'm a mom, I have what they call a backpack, right? And it's a savings account. It's an education savings account that I can spend however I want. Well, if I want to use my savings account to go on vacation for my 25th anniversary this June, that's money I've put in there, right? Matt and Ivy haven't chipped in, and I'm not very happy about that, to be frank. You should have chipped into my savings account, but since you didn't, um, I will use my own money. This savings account they're talking about is all kinds of taxpayers who have put that money into these savings accounts, and you're going to take their money, and you're going to move it over to a private school. And that's my problem with this concept, is that a savings account isn't just your money that you're taking with you. It's lots of our money that you're taking with you. And I, that's but right now it's how... dead. So far. Yeah, I, I mean, I just that's not just not how government works, right? Now taxes should work. Right. Like we all that's chip right. in to serve the public good for whatever it is. I mean, right. I don't send kids to public school right now, but like I, there's value in it for the entire state. Um, and right. anyway, it, it, that that's, um, I mean, I for some of the thing if they want to get into that, like. There'd be plenty of things that I wouldn't yeah. want my tax dollars to go to. I'd take away every tax break in the world to Facebook and Google and beyond, and beyond probably. Right. Um, but right. uh, so I don't think they want me deciding how my, you know, uh, uh, what I send in uh, gets spent. So um, exactly. Uh, well, number two on the on the list, uh, we're we're down to the final two of the extreme sixteen. Um, is the permit number two is the permitless carry uh, proposal uh, that would allow anyone to purchase a firearm without a permit, which would basically render a background check useless. Um, this could also be the uh, we don't care who carries a gun, even if you're uh, a, a bad actor legislation, although that's way too long. So we need your professional right. communications help in renaming it. <laughs> um, but uh, but this is this is just. Um, uh, 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 particularly egregious because it was proposed or debated, not proposed, but debated just as the uh, the, the the latest wave of mass shootings was happening um, in uh, in Atlanta and then in Boulder as well. Yeah, it was right in between. It was in between the two. Um, it was right after Atlanta, the day after Atlanta, and before uh, Colorado. And um, it was a lot about freedom. It was a lot about not needing a permission slip to carry a, a gun. That was what we heard a lot. Um, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go out there on a limb and say that I think you you should have a permission slip to carry a gun. <laughs> I think that you know if you. I mean, I think that there there is not. Um, and that is because of people who are who shouldn't have guns, right? That is because people um, who are mentally ill. People, and, and I don't mean just mentally ill. I mean in mental mental illness crisis, right? Um, or people who um, are domestic abusers people who are criminals. Um, it, it, the, I do not believe that the process of getting a permit is so onerous that it prohibits you from owning a gun if you should, right? And they will argue that it will increase background checks because um, people will go purchase guns more frequently and they'll buy them from federally licensed dealers and therefore they'll get a background check every time instead of just on like just when they go once a year to buy their guns, I guess. 
it is not logic that I can follow, but um, there is no evidence that this will increase background checks. In fact, there is only evidence that it will decrease them. So there will be more people in Iowa carrying guns, purchasing guns, who have not had a background check. And Iowans overwhelmingly support background checks, 80%, and 60% of Republican women nationally support background checks. So this is not a partisan issue. Yeah, this is just kind of scary. Mm. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> seeing that, bill. I know Reynolds said that she wasn't going to say at a press conference whether she's going to sign it or not. I mean, it's really disheartening. Really hope that Reynolds doesn't sign this because in the past, um, you know, she hasn't necessarily, she hasn't supported taking away background checks. So hopefully she doesn't change her story now just because some Republicans in the House and Senate want it, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't have a lot of faith um, in our governor's ability to do that, to, to lead on this issue, um, mm -hmm. but I, I am hopeful. It is a Friday, and oftentimes that's when things get signed when we don't want to have a lot of stories about them. So take yeah. out the trash day. We'll see. Yep. To, uh, Thank you, Leo McGarry. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, number one is dun -da -da, voter suppression. So basically, limiting voter participation with several measures, including shortening early and election day voting times. This was signed by the governor. This is, ugh, I mean, just horrible. Where do we begin? This is a horrible bill. And I was, you know, had the misfortune of being a part of this bill from the subcommittee on um, because it went through state government. So we got to see a lot of it, a lot of the negotiation process happening. Um, it seems to me that the Senate kind of uh, rolled over the House on this bill. Um, there were several things that we, we thought we had an agreement on on the House side that the Senate said no, and um, things like allowing you to define who the person is that's going to come pick up your ballot um, so that it doesn't have to be a family member or caregiver. We wanted to expand that. That's one of the things that are currently in the lawsuit um, that's being challenged in the lawsuit against this. The lawsuit was filed the day after the governor signed it. This bill makes it harder to vote, and um, there's just no way around it. One of the most egregious parts to me and I spoke about this on the floor, is the idea that your um, ballot, if it's cast legally on Saturday, if you send in your absentee ballot on Saturday um, and it doesn't arrive by Tuesday at 8 p.m., your legally cast vote doesn't count. And, um, that's, and it's out of your control, right? The post office didn't get it there in time. You're disenfranchised because of someone else's inability to get mail to where it needs to be, right? That's yeah. just fundamentally wrong. And, um, and then... The the burn I got back on the floor was that you know you know who does this, Vermont, where Bernie Sanders is from, oh. and I'm like okay okay I mean <laughs> I don't really care but um but I will say that uh, that closing the polls at eight o'clock shortening the time to get an absentee ballot um it's just that we we had eighty percent turnout we had third best turnout in the country last time they won can i just say that they won i don't know what they're so mad about they won right. and in iowa and um they they very much do not have um, any reason to do this the only reason the only justification they gave was in a business you should always look to make things better when you have a good year and so that was the rationale we got i i wow. do not buy that wow so. um well i think it's uh, frustrating, uh, but sadly fitting that we round out the extreme 16 with a with a uh, with a bill that, if you disagree with every anything on this list, they're going to try and make it harder for you to change uh, to to change the course of government. So um, exactly right. by by preventing you from voting. Um, so uh, 
do you have any any other reaction to this this list? We've we've finally made it to the end here um, uh, uh, of this this uh, uh, sort of death march of of extreme proposals. So, um, but any right. final final thoughts before we, we cap put a cap on this year's bracket? Matt and Ivy, I, um, I, I'm not very happy with you because you just made me relive 16 <laughs> terrible things that have happened and we're not done, right? That's the worst part. Right. We're not even done. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's important that we get the word out about these things, right? We cannot, we as Democrats who are in the minority who cannot necessarily, you know, if the, if it comes to the floor, we're going to lose, right? But our, we know that going in, but our job is to make sure people know about these things. We're not going to let them do this in the dark. We're not going to let them get away with this. We're going to fight them on it because we think that you need to know that we are what what they're doing, right? And so things like this conversation are really helpful for that. And I would say that we often say there are only 41 of us in the House, but there are 1.23 million Iowans that we represent. And um, we had almost 800,000 Iowans vote for House Democrats this time. So look, we we aren't alone up there, and we know that that we're not, and we need to hear from you. They need to hear from you, and um, you need to spread the word about what's happening. And we can't forget this next November. Well, could not have said that any said that any better. Um, and uh, this Extreme Sixteen bracket is going to be available online. Um, we we hope that this conversation will will educate people and encourage them to take action. Um, so once again, Representative Confers, thank you so much for joining us today to unveil this year's Extreme 16. It's been a, it's been a, uh, frustra- you know, a frustrating discussion, but a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. And um, go Blue, go Michigan in the Real Basketball Tournament. And go <laughs> Iowa State women. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Pollock Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Hallstein. For more information, visit pollock.fm, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week.